Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Great to have those of you who are joining us online, wherever you are at in the world. You guys, it's March. We made it to March. Winter is basically over. The weather's been great so far. I mean, there's hope is in the air. Here's what I know. I was watching a baseball game on TV on Friday, and that, that gives me hope, okay? So we're near the end. But if we haven't met before, my name's John Alexander, and we are in the second week of a series titled Come and See, which by the way, if you weren't here last week because of the weather, you just didn't grab one of these, grab one of these booklets on the way out. It's a fantastic resource that will guide you through this series, give you some additional readings. And our creative team just did an amazing job with this. So make sure you pick one of those up after the service. But John, the author of the book of the Bible that we're teaching through was one of Jesus' 12 closest disciples. That means he witnessed Jesus' life firsthand, the, the teaching, the miracles, even his death, and resurrection. So John decided to write it all down so that we, we could see what he had seen with his own eyes. John tells us this. He said the disciples, he's including himself, saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition, many other in addition to the ones recorded in this book, the book of John. But these are written so that you and I may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. In other words, he's saying, I've found something, <laughs> and it's just the start of it. It's something so extraordinary and so valuable that you've got to come and see for yourself. Now, we tend to want other people to see the things that we find valuable, don't we? I was thinking about all the times my kids want me to see the things that they love. Maddox, our seven-year-old, will often run upstairs and shout, Dad, you've got to come see what I'm doing. Come downstairs. And he'll want me to watch him play Fortnite, see his latest Minecraft creation, or show me the entire Seattle Seahawks 53-man roster he wrote down from memory. It's really impressive. I'm glad that he wants to show me those things. Marley, our three-year-old, she does the same thing. A few weeks ago, we picked her up from church and she handed me this piece of paper and said, Dad, I made this for you. Isn't it beautiful? And I don't know what to do. I, maybe you guys can give me some advice, but I looked at this like a few scribbles on the page and like, is this good? What am I supposed to say here? Can you see that picture there? But she finds it valuable and wants me to see what she's made for me. And that's why John wrote this gospel. He wants us to really see what mattered most to him, the life and person of Jesus Christ. So like John in this series, we're simply inviting you to come and see. No pressure, no pop quizzes, just an invitation to see who Jesus is for yourself. So we pick it up in John chapter four, and Jesus has this conversation with a woman who's getting water at a well and says this. Jesus says to her, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you something he calls living water. Now, at first, this woman has no idea what Jesus is talking about. But by the time their conversation is over, we see this woman running back to friends, family, and neighbors, and shouting, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I love this question. Could he possibly be the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for? I mean, what happened in this conversation and exchange? At first, she's got no clue. But by the time it's over, she's discovered something so valuable 
she can't help but invite others to come and see for themselves. I kind of experienced something like this recently. A few months ago, my wife Emily and I were out to dinner at a brand new restaurant in Stillwater, Minnesota. And as we were scouring the menu, Emily came across a burger called the PB&J Burger. Now she saw the words donut and burger combined into one and she was in, all in. I said, you're really gonna order a donut hamburger? And she looked at me with a steely resolve I haven't seen in years and said, you better believe it. Now, first of all, young married couples, don't you ever question what your wife orders at dinner, okay? <laughs> but second of all, I hadn't even read the fine print because not only was this a donut burger, but it was a donut burger topped with bacon and peanut butter. So when our meals came while I picked at my salad, Emily dove enthusiastically into this donut, bacon, peanut butter burger, and she loved every minute of it. So much so that every time she took a bite, she would say, this is the greatest moment of my entire life. <laughs> I'd be thinking more than our wedding day or birth of our kids. <laughs> but needless to say, she loved this burger. And she talked about it on a weekly basis. You think I'm kidding, but she talked about it for several months until we went back to this restaurant. Now, I was skeptical it seemed like a strange, you know, heavy combination. And plus, you'd think I would know what it would have tasted like, but oh no, <laughs> Emily doesn't share her food, so I had no idea what it tasted like. <laughs> but this time, Emily was adamant that I experience a PB&J burger for myself. She talked about ordering two for herself. And again, you think I'm kidding, like that's an exaggeration, you know, D no, no, you don't know Emily like I do, okay? She was talking about it, and I said, listen, hold off. I'll order one, you order one, and we'll see how it goes. Well, when I took that first bite of the donut, bacon, peanut, butter burger, I saw the heavens open. <laughs> and a host of heavenly angelic beings start singing the hallelujah chorus as a perfect harmony of God's greatest foods came together in one bite. It was unlike anything I'd ever tasted. I finished the entire thing. Now, even though I experienced the donut, bacon, peanut, butter, burger, meat sweats at 3 a.m. later that night, and if you don't know about meat sweats, <laughs> how are you even living? I mean, this is, <laughs> but Emily was right about the greatness of the PB&J burger. For, at first, I didn't get it, but now I know. <laughs> and I wonder how many of us are settling for salads when God's offering donut, bacon, peanut, butter, burgers. And I realized for the vegetarians, the vegans out there, this analogy is just woo, right over your head. You're getting sick thinking about this, but stick with me. Because I think a better question is how often do we miss out on the better things God wants for our lives? Morally, relationally, spiritually, because, because we just didn't know. Maybe someone's making a morally questionable decision because they assume it's their only option. Maybe someone's settling for a subpar marriage because that's all they've ever known. Maybe someone's struggling spiritually because they just don't know how Jesus could actually make their life better. But what if you're missing out? What if you're settling? Wouldn't you want to know there's something better or more out there for you? As we look at the story in John chapter four, that's exactly what happened to this Samaritan woman. She didn't know. 
She was settling, but then she finally understood what Jesus was talking about, and it changed everything for her. So what happened in this exchange, in this conversation? What did she learn? And what can we start to see what she had seen with her own eyes? Well, to set the scene in John chapter four, Jesus and his disciples had just left Judea and were on their way to Galilee. And the shortest route from Judea to Galilee would have been through Samaria. But back in the first century, a Jewish rabbi like Jesus would never travel through Samaria because Samaria was filled with a people who were an ethnic mix of Jew, Greek, Roman, Phoenician, and they were considered unclean. God-fearing Jews just did not travel through Samaria. They'd find a way around to get to Galilee. In fact, even non-Jews hated the Samaritans. Everyone avoided the Samaritans. And I can't help but think of the places we often try to avoid, you know? The inner city during rush hour or bad weather, sketchy neighborhoods or homes we're told to avoid, Iowa, we're just always trying to get around. It's just right. Just kidding, Iowans. But Jesus boldly marched his disciples right into Samaria. That tells you something about Jesus and, and who he was as a person. And they came to a stop at a village known as Sakar at a place called Jacob's Well. And John picks it up here. He says, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now the Samaritan woman would have walked a half mile or so from Sakar to the well, carrying a, a decent sized water jar. And women back in those days typically would retrieve water early in the morning or late at night when the temperatures were much cooler. But notice, and this is a very important detail, this Samaritan woman came at noon, the heat of the day, because she didn't wanna be seen by other people. And John continues, the woman was surprised that Jesus was talking to her. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now this is a dramatic exchange. Because in the first century, a Jewish rabbi wouldn't even talk to his wife or daughters in public, let alone another woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, let alone a Samaritan woman like this one who'd been married five times and was now living with a man who wasn't even her husband. And she didn't know that Jesus knew this about her yet, but he did. That's why she's so surprised by this exchange. She had no idea how this encounter, this conversation was going to dramatically change her life. In John chapter four, the Samaritan woman learns two life-changing truths every person should know. And the first one is this, that nothing will satisfy your thirst. Nothing other than Jesus. The Samaritan woman and Jesus are both thirsty Samaritan woman had come to get her day's supply of water, Jesus thirsty after a day of traveling. So he asked her for a drink. And she's surprised by the question, why are you asking me for a drink? And again, Jesus says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, implying she doesn't know. She hasn't heard about it yet. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would actually ask me and I would give you living Water, and she still thinks Jesus is, is talking about physical water. And as she looks at him, surprised by the exchange, even wondering 
how are you gonna help me with a drink? You don't even have a bucket or a rope. And so Jesus continues and tries to explain, anyone who drinks this water from the well will become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. That water, that living water becomes a bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now this woman's starting to get it a little bit, but she still thinks Jesus is talking about physical water, but this time that he could somehow provide her unlimited refills, which by the way, would have been really great news. It's hard for us to imagine how difficult it was to get water 2,000 years ago. In 21st century America, not only do we have unlimited tap water, but we've got so much water, we bottle it up. Aquafina, Dasani, we put flavors in it, LaCroix, Bubbly, Kirkland brand, our, our personal, we have so much water, we don't know what to do with it. Back then, wells would have been spread sporadically throughout the desert. So this, this would have been good news to her. But Jesus, as he often did to get across a significant point, was using an illustration. Because Jesus wasn't talking about physical water or physical thirst. He's talking about something deeper, something we can't always quite articulate, but we, it's scratching in us. We know it's there. It, it nags inside of us. He's talking about a deeper spiritual thirst, physical water won't ever satisfy. I don't know what it is for you, but we all thirst for things in life, something deeper in life. And maybe a way to think about it is this. If I could just find that thing, whatever it is, fill in the blank, if I could just, then I'd be completely satisfied. I quench my thirst. You know, maybe for some of us right now, it's a spouse. If I could just find Mr. or Mrs. Right, then that thirst will go away inside of me. Maybe I could just get a little more money then I'll have what I need, that thirst will go away. Maybe if I could lose a little weight, just physically look and feel a little bit better, then I'll feel good, I'll feel satisfied. If I could just get my kids off to college, if I could just help my kids be successful, I could just help my kids survive another day, that's our current goal. If I could just have kids, or if I could just get that promotion, something within your job, you know, the list goes on. We all thirst for things in life. But see, here's the problem with thirst. Anytime we put something other than God in this blank, it becomes what the Bible calls an idol. Pastor and author Tim Keller says it this way. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, whatever you put in that blank, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Again, we all thirst for things in life. But the problem is we take these things that are good and we look to them to satisfy something they can't ever satisfy. We, we take these things that are good and make them God, an idol. So what are you thirsty for? How are you trying to quench it? Now to be clear, Jesus isn't saying that we aren't going to thirst for certain things in life. And he's not even saying it's a sin to desire something good, it's good to want a spouse or to get a promotion or for your kids to be successful, that's good. But the key is knowing those things won't ever completely satisfy you like living water can. So that begs the question, what does it look like to drink living water from Jesus who says if we do, we won't be thirsty like that again? 
And maybe a better question is, is how? Well, let me just first say this is difficult to understand and it's not easy to do because not only are we thirsty people, it's hardwired into us. We want those things. Not only that, but we are constantly bombarded by hundreds of ways other than Jesus to satisfy our thirst. Dress like this, buy this, do it like this, you know, perfect angle with that selfie, with the you know, duck, more likes, more approval, more, more success, more feeling like we're sig significant. Again, nothing wrong with those things. But most of us get to the end of our day after drinking from all this other stuff and realize we're as thirsty as we've ever been. So what does it look like to drink living water from Jesus? Well, let me explain how this has played out in my own life recently. When I've taught, I've mentioned before that, that I've struggled with anxiety for, for many, many years, and I fought back in many ways throughout the years, emotionally through counseling, biochemically through medicine, physically through activity, spiritually through prayer, and holding on to God's promises. I often tell people who struggle with anxiety, and I believe this to be true, there isn't one magic solution. It's a battle you have to wage on several fronts. Well, a few months ago, my anxiety had been worse than normal. And if I could articulate it, I think specifically I'd become anxious about the uncertainty of life, uncertain about decisions in my job, whether to have more kids or not, uncertain about relational financial decisions, even uncertain about how long my life was going to last. And for a while, I thought the way to overcome that anxiety, to satisfy that thirst, was to know with certainty what was gonna happen. If I could just know the right decision, if I could just have the right amount of money, if I could just know when or if I was going to get sick, I thought certainty, knowing exactly how my life was going to play out, would quench that thirst that was within me. And then I remember the wise words of Ben Franklin who once said that two things certain in life, the only two things certain in life are death and taxes. Okay, and we know that all too well this time of year. Plus, I'm a pastor. I thought, man, if anyone should know how to get over this, I should know what to do. But, but here's the lesson I learned a couple months ago. See, I learned that the struggle with thirst is that when you're really thirsty, you'll turn to whatever you can find to try, try to quench it. That's why Jesus was so adamant. Seek the kingdom of God, God's ways, God's order of doing things above all else, first and foremost, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I was seeking the wrong thirst-quenching solution. So I knew I needed to do the hard work of drinking life-giving water above all else. This is how it played out for me. It meant in January, I started seeing a Christian counselor again. I needed someone to just speak truth back into my life. I refocused and increased my prayer time, which I'd been minimizing a little bit before then. I make sure I start every day in my chair with a cup of coffee, breathing in and out and telling God, I give you my anxiety. I accept your promises over my life. And slowly but surely, through that daily drink of living water, I've seen my desire for certainty go down, decrease, and my faith increase. Faith that God will be with me no matter what happens. Because that's what faith is. 
It's hope in the things that are uncertain, the things we cannot see. Because is my life any more certain today than it was several months ago? No. I don't even know what's gonna happen this afternoon, let alone tomorrow. Has my anxiety completely gone away? Nope. I wish it would, but it hasn't. It's gonna be a lifelong battle, probably, that requires daily attention and work. And I know some of you experience that same struggle with anxiety. I know you do. There isn't a magic solution. It's a battle. But our greatest hope, above all else, is Jesus, the great physician. That's why we have to make sure we're drinking living water every single day. So what is it for you? What are those things you've put in that blank and you thought, man, if I could just, <laughs> if I could just get that spouse, that promotion, if I could just shake this anxiety, then I'll be completely satisfied. I think God wants to provide those things, but more than anything else, Jesus is saying, come to me. Choose me above all else. Drink from me the living water, and then I'll give you something that's deeper, something that comes from deep within, something that doesn't depend on bank accounts, how the biopsy comes back, whether your boss likes you or not. He says, drink from me and I will give you living water. Jesus says later in John, a few chapters, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. I'm telling you nothing, it's a life-changing truth. Nothing will satisfy your thirst other than the ongoing daily drink of living water. Second life-changing truth this woman learns that Jesus will meet you exactly as you are. After they're done with this conversation about water, Jesus turns to her and says, go get your husband. And she's like, I don't, I don't have a husband. He's like, I know. You've actually had five husbands and now you're living with a man who isn't even your husband. And, and she's surprised and says, you must be a prophet. <laughs> you know, this woman wouldn't have passed anyone's test. She was a mess in, in many ways. Remember, she was there at, at noon, the heat of the day, because she didn't want to be seen by other people. Imagine the shame and the guilt she must have been carrying around. People probably passed uh, by her. They moved to the other side of the road when she walked by. She certainly had a reputation as someone who'd been passed around from, from man to man. She'd been married so many times because she was looking to each one of her spouses to satisfy something deep within her that they couldn't ever satisfy. My wife, Emily, she always tells me that if anything happens again, she would never get married again. And you might be thinking, oh, that's so sweet. She would never find anyone better than you, so why would she even try? Oh, no. <laughs> That's not why. She said, and I quote, being married once is hard enough. If anything happens to you, I'm selling everything and the kids and I are just gonna ride it out by ourselves. This is a really sweet conversation we have a couple times a year. It's great. <laughs> but clearly this Samaritan woman was desperate to quench something deep within her, seeking to get married so many times, looking for something that they couldn't ever provide. So Jesus lovingly, but truthfully confronts her and lets her know of his true identity and says, I am the Messiah. This phrase, I am, would have had significant spiritual meaning. 
suddenly this woman's eyes are open. She realizes it's not just any man she's talking to, she's talking to the savior of the world who's offering her living waters of grace. And John writes, I love these details in the narrative. She left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see this man who is the Messiah. And then at the end, it says that many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. In a matter of hours, she goes from a broken, shame-filled woman to someone whose life has been so dramatically changed, she's now invited others to experience the same. And friends, that's grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. She wouldn't have passed any test. She would have failed anyone's grading scale. And yet here's Jesus standing in front of her, her of all people, and says, I've got a gift for you, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of grace a gift of living water that will satisfy your deepest longings. Often I, I'll talk to people who feel like they don't know enough. They're not good enough. Their life's too much of a mess for God to do anything for them. And if that's you, and I suspect there's a lot of people who are here or watching online who feel that way, please hear me. Your past sins and your present failures do not disqualify you from this gift. Failed relationships, the lies, the shame and the guilt, the pain and the struggle, the secrets that you've been carrying around, I believe to my core, no matter what is happening in your life, Jesus will meet you and extend his love to you exactly as you are. So I gotta ask you, do you know that to be true? And maybe more importantly, do you experience that to be true? I sure hope so. Because knowing and experiencing that truth will change your life. My friends, Marty and Chelsea have been married for 17 years. They've been coming to Eagle Brook for almost as long. A while back, Chelsea wrote a social media post that, that really stuck out to me. It was really impactful to me, and I wanted to share it with you. She talked about how God continues to meet them no matter what is happening in their lives, and he continues to do so right here in this church, in these specific seats each and every week, and by showing up each and every week, God continues to meet them exactly as they are. So I want you to hear what she had to say. Take a look at this video. Somehow church every week is a time marker for our family. The boys ride on our shoulders as we walk in and we all race to the car on the way out. We sit here in the same spot every week and watch time go by. For years I sat in the same chair as I hoped to get pregnant and then I sat in the same chair as we hoped to adopt. I sat here as we filled out paperwork when we were chosen to be Gus's parents in 2012, and again in 2014 when I found out that I was pregnant with Maverick after months of unsuccessful infertility treatments. Run, Gus, run! Thumbs up, dudes! We sat here when Marty quit his job to pursue starting a business, 
and now that business is growing and opportunities keep coming our way. I sat here as I was denied into school, and now I'm working my dream job in anesthesia. Our family thrives on spontaneity, but one thing that is consistent for us are these seats and this church, and we've truly come to rely on it. It's amazing to sit back and watch how God continually shapes our family through the ups, the downs, the significant moments, and the mundane. I remember so many weeks sitting in this chair with open hands, hoping and praying, then working our butts off for a life worth living. We still have hopes that haven't been met, but we have faith that we'll see the reason why or see them come to fruition when we're in this same seat five years from now. <laughs> At the end of each message, the pastor asks us to stand and pray. And no matter what happened that week, how happy, sad, or mad we might be with each other, Marty and I put our arms around each other and look ahead together. Not perfect, but with hopes and dreams and with thankful hearts for this life that we are able to live and that Jesus meets us exactly where we are. You know, life is far from perfect. And I've known them a long time. They've had many ups and downs, as she said, but God has continued to meet them in every circumstance, in every season, no matter what is happening in their life. Maybe you know theoretically that nothing will satisfy your thirst other than Jesus, but you aren't experiencing it. It's time to ratchet up your consistency. Show up each and every week. Make yourself available to God each and every day. Because no matter what is happening in your life, Jesus will meet you exactly as you are. And when he does, he'll be loving and kind and full of grace. But he'll also be truthful and call you out of those dark, sin-filled places that you're trying to hide. But that's what living water does. It'll quench your thirst, but it'll do so by washing away the dirt and then filling in those open spots with living water. So if you haven't received the gift, if you haven't started a relationship with Jesus, maybe it's been a long time, come back to God. Show up at the well again. Maybe you need to set something down like the woman set down her water jar. Maybe you need to set down those old thirst-quenching solutions so that you can receive and drink living water once again. In the final book of the Bible, Jesus says this, let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, now you know. Drink freely there's nothing like it. As we finish up across all campuses, and if you're joining us online, we're gonna receive communion and we're gonna sing a final song. And this song is maybe a song you've, you've heard before. It's a really popular one, but it's a song that has been really personally impactful for me in the last several months. I've just had it on repeat. And now my whole family listens to it. My son listens to it. It's just a song that ties in directly to what we're talking about today. And the song says this, are you hurting and broken? Are you overwhelmed? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Jesus is calling. 
The only thing that God wants for us is to drink and receive the living water of Jesus Christ. And so before you take it, when you get your communion elements in just a moment, or maybe you already have them in your hands, take some time and ask yourself, what are those things you've been trying to drink from other than Jesus? Is there something you need to set down so that you can drink living water? Across all campuses, communion ushers, feel free to start passing out the elements. And, and when you get them, just hold on to them for right now. Maybe you're at a campus where you need to pass it along, but you don't need to be a member of our church to receive communion, but we do believe you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But that gift is free and available to you right now. You can begin that relationship with him just by telling him you want that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he about to be betrayed, he sat around a table with 12 disciples and he took some bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you exactly as you are. Eat this and remember me. And then he took a cup, he gave thanks for it. He passed it around and he said, this drink represents the blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this and remember me. So when you do take the wafer and then the juice, remember that God sent his son Jesus for you, for me, exactly as we are and that nothing will satisfy your thirst other than Jesus. After you take some time reflecting on those questions and remembering that truth, the band is gonna sing a final song and then ask you to stand when it's appropriate.